Today's reading is taken from Psalm 63. You, God, are my God. Earnestly I seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you. In a dry and parched land where there's no water, I have seen you in the sanctuary and beheld your power and your glory, because your love is better than life. My lips will glorify you. I will praise you as long as I live, and in your name I will lift up my hands. I will be satisfied as with the richest of foods. With singing lips, my mouth will praise you. O my bed, I remember you. I think of you through the watches of the night, because you are my help. I sing in the shadow of your wings. I cling to you. Your right hand upholds me. Those who want to kill me will be destroyed. They will go down to the depths of the earth. They will be given over to the sword, and become food for jackals. But the king will rejoice in God. All who swear by God will glory in Him, while the mouths of liars will be silenced. This is the word of the Lord. Succeed if you can take out your Bibles、um, and turn to Psalm 63. We'll go over the section together.、Uh, we're starting a new series of just summer songs,、uh, summer psalms.、Um, we'll go through、uh, some of the psalms together. So each week it'll be slightly different kinds of psalms, and this is a psalm of worship and praise. But let's、uh, pray that God will speak to us through this passage. Lord, we thank you so much for the for your words that there's such variety in it. We thank you that it speaks to all our life situations.、Um, we pray that you'll take this psalm, and we pray that you'll teach us the truth of your word. That we may we may be changed. That our lives may be changed. That our perspectives will be changed as a result. Speak to us this morning in Jesus' name, Amen. I don't know if you can guess、uh, who said this. Darkness is such that I really do not see, neither with my mind nor with my reason. The place of God in my soul is blank. There is no God in me. When the pain of longing is so great, I just long and long for God. The torture and pain I can't explain. It's such a depressing-sounding words, and you may be surprised to know that it's actually said by Mother Teresa. Um, this, these are her words, written in her journal, released in 2007. I just long and long for God. It must have been unbearable for her, a Christian who lived among the poorest of the poor, who was called, whom、uh, she felt that Jesus had called、uh, called her to go to the poorest of the poor and to get there and to feel that God had abandoned her. How miserable must it must have been for her? But she isn't alone. Actually, these words are echoed by many, many Christians. Maybe some of you even now. I long and long for God. And actually, these are words of our psalm, the beginning words of our psalms. Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for for you. My body longs for you in a dry and weary land where there is no water. These are. David's words, and he, he something—it's unbearable for him. He thirsts for God, and it's hard to capture this sort of thirst、um, in words.、Uh, this is、uh, my picture of the Judean desert when I went there a long time ago. 
We're told in the heading of the psalm that this is David's words as he wanders in the desert of Judah. Unless you picture this dry brown dust covering all sides around you, it's hard to picture that sort of thirst and longing that he feels. Of course, it's not just a physical thirst. His enemies are pursuing him, trying to kill him, verse 9. He says he needs to stay up all night over the watches of the night, verse 6, because his life is in danger. And unbelievably, most likely, the enemy that he's talking about is his son, Absalom, who wanted to usurp his throne and to kill him. All alone in that desert, as he's run away from Jerusalem, he longs and thirsts for God. He earnestly seeks him, he says. And here's what David reminds us. You see, David's danger was physical, psychological. His son was chased. Uh, His son was chasing him. His life was threatened. He's physically thirsty. But he knew that all of that could be changed. All of that somehow is related to his thirst for God. He says that he knew that if God was with him, somehow things would be different. He would feel differently about all the problems that he's facing. He knew that longing for security, for justice, even for his thirst would be transformed only if he was assured that God was with him. He says, I long for God. He knows that he would gain the right perspectives. His problems would would uh, be in the right portion. He wouldn't be afraid. He knows that he know, he, he would be okay. If only knew, if he only knew that God was with him. So he thirsts for God in that desert land. And when we think about it this way, I hope it's obvious to you that God is the most fundamental need and thirst for our, in our life. But this is something that I think we often forget. So many of us forget that underlying our tiredness, I don't know if you're tired today, Underlying our tiredness or all our stress, all the disappointments that we feel about life of maybe not getting that promotion or the children not getting to right schools or the health or the drudgery of life that we feel day to day. Underlying all of that is a thirst for the living God. And we forget this. And we forget that with God in our life, our problems will go back to their proper place in in our life that we will see the whole world differently if we are assured that God is with us. So if you're tired, if you're overwhelmed, if you're devastated or whatever, that, uh, that longing that you feel, take the first step of realizing that behind all of that is a thirst and desire to be with God, that you are thirsty for, for God. I hope you see that. And if you see this, let me ask you then, take the next step. Are you seeking God? David says, I earnestly seek you in that desert land. It's not enough just to realize that you thirst for God. The next step is to seek him, to find him, to cry out to him. You see in verse 4, David says, in your name, I will lift up my hands. I love this imagery. David is referring to praying. People pray. uh, Back then, then, uh, Jewish people pray like this, with their hands up high. And you see people praising God and praying in this way, even now. And it's almost as if they want to reach God. They're reaching out to God. They're seeking God. They want to touch Him. They want to receive His blessings. They want to be with Him. This is why they stretch out their hands as they pray. You see, David is seeking God. David wants to find God in that desert land. So be persistent and in, in seeking God. Seek Him in your life. And I add that if you're not a Christian here, 
That thirst that you have for recognition, for fame, for security, comfort, love, blessings of all sorts, you have them because you are made for God. The thing is, even if you had the whole world, if you, even if all, the, you, you, um, all your desires are, are met, it would not be enough for you. It won't be enough for you because you aren't made for the finite things. You are made for the infinite God. You're made for the infinite beauty and infinite security, infinite justice, infinite wealth, infinite uh, uh, recognition, infinite love. You are made for God, and your hearts will be restless until they find their rest in God. So if you're not a Christian, that longing that you feel, know, know that it is because you thirst for God. Would you come and talk to me after, afterwards? Come and talk to Robert if you're, find, if you're seeking God. We would love to make time for you. If, if you're not a Christian, turn, turn to somebody next, uh, next to you after the service and, and tell them that you are uh, seeking God. I'm sure they would be very happy to help you, to point you in the right direction. Seek him. If you might be asking at this point, what what does it mean practically to seek God? What do we do? What's the first step? Well, I think for the Christian, a first step isn't looking to um, looking for God to do something in the future. The first step is to look back to the past. It's about remembering, and that's where David starts, doesn't he? He remembers God in the temple in verse two. I have seen you already in the sanctuary. And beheld your power and glory, verse 2. He remembers meeting God in the poor corporate worship in the tabernacle, in the sanctuary, he says. And he adds in verse 7, I sing in the shadow of your wing. These wings that he refers to are probably the wings of the cherubim that stands right above the Ark of the Covenant. I sing under the shadow of your wing, under your presence in the tabernacle. He remembers his worship and what he saw. He remembers meeting God there. And I don't know if you know the story, but David definitely had a worship experience where he met God, didn't he? Remember the time when the Ark of the Covenant was finally being brought into Jerusalem? On that day, he danced and danced to the point that it made his wife blush because it seemed so undignified to her that David was dancing in this way. But David didn't care because David met God. For, for David, this joy of meeting God and ushering in the covenant into Jerusalem what made him so happy that he worshipped God undignified. The burning meat of the sacrifice, incense and the music and tambourines, the choir singing, he met God, he saw God there. He celebrated God's power and glory. He looks to his experience, to the past. But it's not just in the corporate worship. The past for the Christian is a treasure trove of what God's, God has done for us. I'm sure David could recall the story of Abraham, the miraculous birth of Isaac. Jacob is wrestling with God, Joseph and the miraculous provision of God, Moses and the mighty acts that delivered Israel out of Egypt. The story of Joshua and Caleb and the conquering of uh, the promised land and the walls coming down in Jericho, all of that he remembers what God has done. Verse 6, on my bed, I remember you. I think of you through the watches of the night. He remembers God, what God has done uh, for him and for his people in the past. In fact, this is why we have come 
hopefully this morning. This is why Sunday worship is so important. Because we often forget the greatness of our God, and we need to be reminded of what God has done for us. We need to remember together that God has, what God has done through teaching of the Scripture as we look at the Bible together, as we study the, together, uh, study the Bible together. We need to tell each other through our testimonies and through what God has done. We need to tell each other, share our experiences of God to each other. Share, uh, celebrating uh, through the uh, celebrating communion what Jesus has done for us once and for all through mutual encouragement. This is what we do on Sunday, remembering what God has done for us. And we need to do this individually as well. At the beginning of the week, uh, Mary and, and I were talking about how God answered so many of our prayers. We prayed for our family, and it was evident to us that God answered our prayers about our family. We prayed for the church, and God answered. We prayed for the encouragement at different points, and God has answered. And before we forget, we need to write these things down, or we need to at least take the time out to celebrate together, to remember what God has done for us, because God is alive, and He is, uh, he is acting in our lives even now. We need to celebrate, because we are often forgetful people. We forget. We take things for granted. So we, remember, we need to remember what God has done for us, but also take the next step of remembering God's true worth, what this means for us. And I think this really is the key uh, turning point in this psalm. Verse 3, he writes, Because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. You see what he's done. He remembers what God has done, but then he also remembers God's worth. He says, your love is better than life. Your love is better than life. He remembers that there is nothing on earth that he could have that's better than God's love, even his own life. He tells himself that God's love is worth that. That even if he loses his life, it would be okay as long as he has God's love. You see, we need to remember the worth of our God and what God has given us. Let me tell you, it takes effort to remember these things, don't we? Yeah, doesn't it? I, I, I was listening to this podcast about this uh, uh, wife who was extraordinarily beautiful, but a husband who took her for granted. And it was only when they went out to this fancy party and all these people came up to the husband and telling him, wow, your wife is really beautiful. It was only then that he started looking at her differently. Wow, she is beautiful. She rem- he remembered, actually, her beauty. Because when you live with it every day, you forget. We, it's easy to forget the value and the worth of what we have. As we remember who God is, what he has done for us, we need to remember the worth of God's love. It is better than life. So this week, uh, in your sermon sheet at the back of it, um, go home and would you just make a list. Make a list during your quiet time when you read the, the Bible uh, each morning. Just make a list of what God has done for you. And on the right side, make a list of things that God has done for you in the past in your life. Remember what God has done for you, who God is and his worth. And tell yourself and tell God that your love is better than life. Because if you spend 15 minutes each morning doing this, remembering what God has done for, for you, 
through scripture, through your, in your experience. 15 minutes, it will change you. It will change your perspective on life. This is Captain Alan Gardner, who's the founder of SAMS, a South American missionary society. South American missionary society. It's, a, it's the, probably the biggest uh, uh, mission agency that works with, uh, in, in South America. In his final expedition, he set out on December 17, uh, 1850, to go to the southern tip of South America with six companions. They can, they've taken, they, take, they took uh, six months uh, worth of supplies with them um, in, in, to this place where life was just quite difficult to sustain. And after arriving um, there, he wrote in his journal, Nothing can exceed the cheerful endurance and unanimity of the whole party. I feel that the Lord is with us and cannot doubt that he, uh, his, he will own and bless the work he permitted us, uh, permitted us to begin. So there is this enthusiasm and optimism that God is with, with him. Unfortunately, things began to go wrong. His supporters back home couldn't find the, uh, enough people to go uh, and, and, and give him the next supply, uh, a supply's worth, uh, because nobody wanted to take that treacherous um, journey there. So as they, the, the, as they carried out that mission work in the cold tip of South America, their supplies uh, ran slowly, um, ran out. And they slowly began um, to starve to death. And actually, about a year later, when the relief ship finally came, uh, in October 1851, Gardner and his men had all died of star- starvation. But... When they came, they found his body next to a boat, his boat, um, and his journal with him. And this is the last entry. This is the last entry recorded in his journal. Great and marvelous are the loving kindness of my gracious God unto me. He has preserved me hitherto, although without bodily food, without any feelings of hunger or thirst. Before he dies, he writes, Great and marvelous are the loving kindness of my gracious God unto me. He knew God's love. This is a man who's saying, Your love is better than life. Somebody who knows the worth of having God in his life. So seek him. Remember him. And finally, when you do, praise him. That's what David does after recalling God's true worth in verse 4. He says, I will praise you as long as I live. And in your name, I will lift up my hands. He praises God. And the act of praising also strangely brings satisfaction to him. Verse 5. I will be fully satisfied with the riches of food. As with riches of food. With singing lips, my, my, my mouth will praise you. And most people back then didn't have any fatty foods. And so this is what he's talking about. When he's tasting fatty, fat and rich foods in his mouth, he says praising God will bring him that sort of satisfaction in his life. And praising God satisfies us. God isn't greedy for praise. This isn't why, this isn't why the, the psalmists say praise him and praise him. It's not because uh, God is some narcissistic child who needs constant attention and compliments. Praising God is for us. It helps us to enjoy who God is. Think about it. We don't pray begrudgingly. 
We don't pray. Uh, we we praise things. Uh, we praise things all the time, and the world is f- uh, filled with praises. Uh, C.S. Lewis says we we praise our lovers, books, sceneries, weather, wines, dishes, actor, countries, people, children, flowers. He writes even politicians sometimes get praised. We do it because we enjoy doing it. When we see great things, we can't help but praise God. Praise. He writes in the reflection on the Psalms, uh, that book, I, I think we delight to praise um, what we enjoy because praise not merely expresses but completes the enjoyment. It is the appointed consummation. It completes our enjoyment. As we praise, we get to enjoy it. You know, when you go up to the top of Lion Rock and see the whole city before you, you want to say to somebody, wow, that's amazing. Actually, it's not enough just to say it to yourself. You want to turn to somebody and say, wow, isn't that amazing, Mary or Alice or whoever. Isn't that amazing? You want to share that praise with somebody because this is how we enjoy things. As we praise, we're, we're, it's, it completes our adoration, our enjoyment of the thing. That's why we praise. We enjoy God by praising God. And that's why, once again, partly we've come this morning. We've come to praise God. We've come to delight in Him by giving Him praise, by giving Him thanks, because that's the appointed uh, consummation of our enjoyment. This is how we experience God. But I suppose there are many of you who might be right now here who just don't feel like praising God. You had a tough week. You had a tough month. You might not just have the energy, and you don't want to seem fake by praising God in this way. And if this is you, the first thing that I want to say is that I understand, and that's okay. It's not just you. It happens to me. St. John the Cross wrote about darkness of the night, dark nights of the soul, uh, when people feel so, he felt so far away from God. Mother Teresa felt it. It happens to all of us. But don't give up. Don't give up. And I found uh, C.S. Lewis once again really helpful um, in, in, in this. He says that our praising God is like digging trenches, channels in dry land. This is what he writes. But the duty of praising exists for the delight. When we carry out our religious duties, we are like people digging channels in the waterless land in order that when at last the water comes, it may find them ready. I mean, for the, for the most part. There are happy moments even now when trickle creeps along the dry beds and are happy souls, uh, and happy souls to whom this happens often. Most of the times, our praising is like just tr- digging in dry land. But sometimes we feel the trickle of God's presence and we enjoy God. We, we, we find that this is how it's supposed to be. As we remember God, as we, seek, as we seek God, as we remember God, as we praise God, this is how it's supposed to be. It's, it's water coming and filling that channel. And sometimes we will see that our souls and, and God's presence sort of merge together uh, as our praises genuinely become a genuine response to what God has done for us. And God will sometimes make himself known in this way, as, the, as C.S. Lewis p- puts it, as water comes. 
and we will truly delight in God. But we need to continue digging those channels because this is how we experience God, by seeking Him, by remembering Him, and by praising Him. And when that time comes, everything changes. David was in a dry desert land pursued by his enemies. The situation didn't change at the end of the psalm, but he has changed. Look at the tone at the end of the psalm in verses 9 through 11. He's confident. He's bold. He's not scared anymore. He writes, Those who want to kill me will be destroyed. They will go down to the depth of the earth. They'll be given over to the sword and become food for jackals. But the king will rejoice in God. All who swear by God will uh, glory in him, while the mouths of the liars will be silenced. He sees the world differently. The the world has changed uh, for him. He, um, he, He sees life through the lens of God being with him. The worries that he had no longer seem uh, like worries. He's confident God's justice will be done. This is a man who realizes that he has something that, um, that, that is more valuable than, e- than even his life, God's love. And I think here's, whenever I read Psalms like this in the Old Testament, this is the amazing thing. That love that David speaks of in verse 3, he only knew that partially. Actually, NIV translates um, uh, verse 3, that love, as just love. But if you look at NRSV or ESV, a more literal translation, it'll say steadfast love. Because this is a very difficult uh, Hebrew word, hesed, translated. And it means something, it's a bit more than just love. It's this covenant love. It's one that says, even if you don't keep your end of the bargain, I will keep it for you, even if it means, even, even if it means danger for myself, even if it means death for myself. And David only had the had glimpse of that love. He knew that God loved him throughout his life. He wouldn't have known that God's love is eternal. He knew that God was kind, compassionate, and forgiving. He could, ha- he could not have possibly imagined that that God would die for him. But we know that love. We know that love in its fullness because of Jesus. And that love should change how we look at the world. So no matter where you are, whether you're feeling dry or stressed, far away from God, or whether you're rejoicing, continue to seek Him. Continue to remember Him. And continue to praise Him. And you will see the world differently. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for the amazing power of your word recorded in these scriptures. We thank you that you have revealed these truths for us. And we thank you that we, get, we can be confident in the truth of your word. That as we seek you, as we remember you, as we praise you, that our world will be changed. Help us to remember your love this week. Help us to have that confidence of knowing that love which is more valuable than our life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.